Amen. Let me read something to you this morning. But do not, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we know. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. For this we know and say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, snatched out with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Amen. That's God's wonderful promise to us. Has he called your name? If he hasn't, maybe today, the Spirit of God will deal with your heart in such a way that you will open your heart to Christ and have an everlasting yes. And you will have this same promise that we just read here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for loving us. And thank you, Lord, for bringing us from death unto life. And until that day you come to take us, to be with you, may we be busy about the work you've called us to do in the proclamation of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. And while you're being seated, turn with me to the book of Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8. As you came in, if you didn't get an outline, there are outlines back there in the back if, oh, at the door there if you want to go back and get you one to follow along today as we study together Hosea chapter 8. Let me share with you just two or three things uh, that needs to be brought to our attention uh, as well while you're getting there in Hosea and getting your outline. Our next Mid-South uh, Food Bank distribution will be this Tuesday October the 11th, the truck will be here at 7 a.m. And the food drive will start at 9. So, Miss, if you want to be able to be a part of that and you're available to help when the truck gets here to unload the food and get it all set out and ready to go, see Miss Adrian. The youth, 6th uh, uh, grade through 12th grade, will not meet here uh, at the church this Wednesday night. Instead, they will meet on the Fayette Academy football field for an event called Fields of Faith. 
that's being put on by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, parents can drop their students um, off and pick up their students directly at the school. So if you have any questions, uh, contact Casey or Leah. Uh, the, children minist the children's ministry will continue here from 6 to 8 Wednesday night. And then on October 31st, we'll hold our annual uh, trunk retreat. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, and our children's ministry sponsors that, see Miss Cheryl, and she'll get you the information that you need. So lots of great things are coming up for us uh, as we seek to continue to serve the Lord, to reach out into the community as best as we can and share the love of Christ. Hosea chapter 8. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. But Israel has cast off the good and the enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, and I did not acknowledge it. They made from silver and gold, they made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. There's no substitutes for God's worship. My anger is aroused against them. How long will it be until they attain innocence? And that's what my New King James Version says, but he's talking about how long will it be until you realize the terrible mistakes you're making? For from Israel is even this, a workman made it, and it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. You go all the way back to Mount Sinai and the golden calf. And here we see that there had been a, a rival worship center set up there because the kingdom had, is divided. You have the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes, the southern kingdom, the two southern tribes, and you have rival places of worship. And there in the north, they had set up this golden calf instead of the Ark of the Covenant. But listen to this. And we've had some very famous politicians quote this verse, and they don't know what they're talking about. They sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens will swallow it up. Now, we're not talking about people from Mars or Jupiter. We're talking about foreigners. Because the judgment of God that's coming upon Israel is that the king of Assyria, Shalmaneser, is going to come, and they are aliens, and they're going to come, and they're going to destroy and take captive the ten northern tribes. That's what God is saying here. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. 
Now, I started to ask Bobby to come up and tell me what a wild donkey would do when, you, when he gets wild. Uh, but I would imagine that he would be able to explain to us that if you've got a horse or a donkey that, has, that determines they don't want to get into a trailer or they don't want to go into a stall uh, or if they don't want to be ridden, they can cause a lot of trouble. Right, Bobby? Yeah. So here's what, verse 9. Israel had gone to Assyria, who God is going to use to come and destroy them and take them captive. They went to Assyria and tried to, to, make, uh, to get protection from them. It's amazing what we will do when we're out of the will of God, isn't it? Ephraim has hired lovers. In other words, they paid Assyria. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars for sinning. In other words, they'd set up all these different altars and, and false worship and idol worship. And particularly there in Bethel and Dan. I have written for him the great things of my law. In other words, God says, I gave you my word. I've given it to you through the prophets. But they were considered a strange thing. Is that not the testimony of today? That the word of God is being rejected even by many places that are churches or supposed to be. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now, he will remember their iniquity and he will punish their sin. They shall return to Egypt. Remember, they were delivered from there out of slavery. But God says you're going to, some of you, are, in fact, when Assyria comes, many of the nation of Israel will flee back into Egypt. And here's the cause for the whole thing, verse 14. For Israel has forgotten his maker. If that's not uh, parallel for us as we look around in our world today. And has built temples. Judah also has multiplied fortified cities. Man, look how strong we are. We got the... Look, Israel saying, we got the best military in the world. But without God, it doesn't matter what you have. But listen what God says. I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour, devour his palaces. What an indictment on the nation that God had set up, calls them his elect, chose them by his own sovereign choice, 
not because they deserved it or were great people, but because God chose to. Let's look and just want to walk you through this morning, this chapter, and, and maybe see some parallels in the application uh, and warning, because the first thing we see is the warning of the coming judgment. In chapter 8, and verse 1a there, it says, Set the trumpet to your mouth. The passage that I read as, as I came up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we, where does, what does it say there? That the trumpet will sound. We see in Revelation chapter 8 and the seven trumpet judgments, the seventh seal opens up seven trumpets, and it's a proclamation of the judgment of God. So there's a warning. Set the trumpet to your mouth. In other words, every time Israel would get together and every time there was a warning or every time there was something to be proclaimed, someone would blow the trumpet and it would mean, pay attention. And God is saying here to the nation of Israel, pay attention. I think that application and that warning could certainly go to the church today and to our country today and to the world today. The trumpet is blowing. Number two, look at the wake of the coming judgment in chapter 8 and the latter part of verse 1. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord. You know, an eagle is a bird of prey. And one of the fascinating things about them is their eyesight. And I, did, I looked at some things to, uh, this week about the eagle's eyesight, and they can see, as, as best as I can understand from what I read, they can see literally a thousand times better than a human being. They see a different realm or of, of, of vision than we do as well. It's kind of like uh, it's a, a, a mix between a, a night vision and a heat type of vision. So they can see those little, they can see those little mice and fish and all that stuff. They can see all of that. And their greatest, their greatest tool is their swiftness. They can be flying at a tremendous height and swiftly come down and sweep up their prey. And God says, that's exactly what is going to happen to you, Israel. Assyria is going to come, and in the wake of this coming judgment, Assyria is going to come like an eagle against the house of Israel and swoop you up in judgment. And then we see in verses 2 and 3, the well-timed coming judgment. Notice what it says. It says, Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. I mean, we're your people. We have the prophets, God. We, we know you. We're okay, God. How many times have I talked with people through the years, almost now almost 50 years in ministry, and, and uh, talked to individuals about their relationship to God, and I'll never forget this one little country guy that uh, I, I knew him for many years, and he's a great guy. 
but he, he just he did not know the Lord. But I went to his house to visit him on a Saturday afternoon, and um, I knocked on the door, and, you know, like most country folks, come on in. So I opened the screen door and walked on in, and he's sitting in there in his um, recliner, like most of us guys like to do, and he's watching a, a game on TV, and um, when I when I walked in, I walked around in, in front of him, and uh, he saw it was me. Well, he took his Bud Light and slid it behind him like this. <laughs> and I said, "Hey, man, you don't have to hide that from me. I'm, you know, I'm just a just a man." I said, "But I appreciate the respect." But this is, you know, in all of that, uh, this is what he, what he said when I talked to him about his relationship to the Lord. This is what he said. Me and the Lord, we just like this. You ever had anybody say that to you? Me and the Lord, we just like this. I said, well, tell me, what, what does that mean? And he went on to talk about how that, uh, you know, he, he believed in God and and so on and so forth, and that uh, he didn't need the church, and all oh, just a bunch of hypocrites down there anyway. And so, you know, I, I talked to him, and I said, you know, you're right. You know, this world's full of trouble, heartache, sorrow, lots of things we don't understand. But if you say that you and the Lord are just like this, What are you doing in that relationship with him? Well, he, well, what do you mean? I said, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. And I said, if I were to have come in here to your home and, and, and said to you, um, it was good to see you and I want to have a great visit with you, but uh, your wife, is she's got to get out of here because I don't like her. I said, what would you have done to me? He said, preacher. He looked at me and squinted that eye like that. He said, preacher, I'd have run you out of here. I said, yeah. And I said, that's what you're saying to the church. You're saying that, 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 you, that you know God, but you don't want to have anything to do with this church. Well, I could tell you a lot more that he said, and some of it wasn't real pleasant. But I told him that day. I said, You're, you say you know God, but I don't see any evidence that you do. And I said, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here, I'm here to, to encourage and to love you and to say God has a wonderful plan for your life. There are many people who cry out today, Oh, we know God. We believe in God. You know, there's still over 50%. The last time I looked, it was like 63% of people on the street say that they believe in God. But my question is, what God do you believe in? Are you like Israel? You've chosen to define your own God? What God, what God have you fashioned? Pastor Matthew last week shared with us about how that we've created our own idols and fashioned our own gods. 
And there are so many today who do the same thing. Oh, we, we're, we're okay with God. We, we're just like this. Well, the well-timed coming of God's judgment, notice what had happened. Why this judgment was coming says, Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. Israel has cast off the good. The enemy will pursue him. But notice three things. Israel transgressed God's covenant. In other words, they had broken their covenant with God because they had followed and prostituted themselves after other gods. Israel trespassed God's law. No longer was God's law the standard for their decisions and the standard for their worship and the standard for their lives. And then Israel threw off that which is good, as, as Isaiah 5 warns and tells us and says that, they, that they, that which was good was called evil and that which is evil is called good. If that's not an indictment on our world today, I don't know what is. People like you and me, those who believe the Word of God, who, who do their, uh, their lives every day focused around the Word of God, we teach our children the Word of God, we teach our people to fear God, to ask for wisdom from God, we teach our people to do everything they can to live your lives according to God's Word and His principles and His precepts. We're considered right-wing, fundamental terrorist today. And those who are murdering and burning and raping and killing are let out so they can do it again. Think about this, folks. We are rocking ourselves to sleep in the melancholy of destruction. But notice the next thing, the warrant of the coming judgment of God. What, what has caused this? Israel had transgressed God's covenant and trespassed against God's law. Verse 1. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord. Why? Why is this judgment coming from Assyria? Why is God going to use a heathen nation to come and take the nation of Israel, his chosen people, the elect of God as he calls them, the apple of his eye, the line through which the Messiah would come? Why is God going to use a heathen, unbelieving nation to come and destroy them? Two reasons. They transgressed God's covenant and they trespassed against God's law. In other words, they took the word of God and just threw it away. Then we see Israel had thrown off the thing that is good. Verse 3 says they cast it off. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19 says this, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Willing and obedient to what? You know, God says that he'd rather have our obedience than our sacrifices. And God says in this covenant through Isaiah that if you are willing and obedient, you see, we have a choice to decide whether we will serve God or not. 
We're not puppets on a string being manipulated by some higher power out there. There's some puppeteer pulling the strings and, and all of this. You and I and everyone that's ever been born has a choice to determine whether they will serve God or whether they will not. And Isaiah says, if you are willing, if there, was no, if there was no choice for us to make, why would the prophet Isaiah say, if you are willing? In other words, you have to decide. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Mamas, daddies, you need to make that proclamation in your home. Your children need to hear you make that proclamation. No matter what the world does, no matter what the culture does, that you as a family will stand there together and you will proclaim, we will serve the Lord no matter what. Israel had not done that. Israel was instructed to do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 through 6, it says that you are to take God's word and you are to talk about them when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way. You're to put them on the doorpost of your home. In other words, as you live your life, the word of God in our relationship to God, but Israel had transgressed and trespassed that. Romans chapter 12. You say, well, that's all Old Testament, Brother Ken. Well, Romans chapter 12 says the same thing. Verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, If I am to present my body, present myself as a living sacrifice, that's a choice that I have to make. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because we make a rational, logical, spiritual, based on the Word of God choice that says we will not be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, that you may prove, you, we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Heed the warning. The trumpet is blowing, church. Then Israel had thwarted God's direction. In verse 4, 4a, the first part, it says, They set up kings, but not by me. You know, God had established the kingship in Israel, the people desired it, and he gave them a king. But that first king, Saul, turned out not to be very good because the, men, the people chose him 
because he was a great warrior and he stood head and shoulders above his, you know, his physical attributes. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. In other words, he was a tall dude. Mighty warrior. But Saul proved that he wouldn't follow God's commands and God's laws by when he was told to go into an area and destroy everything, he decided not to. And he wanted to take some of the things that he captured and, and he was going to give them as an offering. In other words, he defied God's commands and then he says, well, I'll just give God an offering to appease God. And that's, that's, if that's not so typical of our world today. God says, I'd rather have obedience than sacrifice. Take all your offerings Take all your sacrifices. I don't need them. What I want is obedience. We live in such a selfish, self-centered world. We have no, we have no parameters of God's grace. If people don't fall within the parameters in which we believe that we've got God all figured out. If, 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 we, if someone doesn't fall within those parameters, we don't have room for that. Now, the only parameters that God holds himself to is what his word says about him. They had thwarted God's direction. They had set up kings. What had they done? God had brought them King David, and under King David, even as vile as he was in some of the horrible things that he did, committing adultery, committing murder to cover up the adultery, his children, his son Absalom was killed by his general Joab because Absalom had tried to take over his father's kingdom. Also, one of his sons raped one of his, one of his daughters, raped his own sister. David's life was a mess because of his disobedience to God. But here's what God said about David, that he was a man after my own heart. And God had chosen David out of all the brothers of Jesse, of all the sons of Jesse, he had chosen David, the little shepherd boy, and through that, David had accomplished a great thing with the Philistine army where he killed the giant Goliath. And David was anointed three times to be king. And God had set him aside. And under David's rule, the kingdom was united. And it had stretched out. David was a warring king. He had captured all the areas uh, and almost completed the covenant that God had made with Abraham that has never been completed, but it will be because God is faithful to his promises. And then David dies, and his son Solomon takes over. Solomon inherited a nation of peace. 
and he became laxed. And through Solomon and his inability to stay focused on how they got there under the rule of God, then we see destruction that came to the nation of Israel. Under Solomon, the nation begins to falter because of his high taxes to take care of his 700 wives and 300 concubines and their idol gods that they brought with them. And he then built facilities of worship for each one of those. And not only that, but he began to attend worship services of these false gods. And then we see the kingdom gets divided. And once that kingdom is divided, you have Rehoboam and you have Jeroboam. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, takes over. Jeroboam leads a coup and the two southern tribes secede from the union and they become a divided nation. And then from there, the kingdom, the, the kingships begin to just falter. The people start selecting their own kings. You know what? But here's what they do. Some of them only lived a few days. Because some other person that wanted to be king would just kill them. Not only kill them, but then they would kill all their family. And if you look at the, in, in the book of First and Second Kings, you will see just one right after another. This king served three months. This king served two years. This king and, and slept with their fathers because so-and-so killed them, and they became king. In other words, they started selecting their own kings instead of, as God said, before they ever chose the first king, King Saul, I'm your king. Why do you need an earthly king? I'm your king. And you know what their answer was? Well, all the other nations in the world have a king. Why can't we have one? In other words, they defied God's commands. They thwarted God's direction. They set up kings. But notice that phrase, underlined it, but not by me. God said, I didn't have anything to do with it. Then Israel has trampled God's commandments, verses 4 through 7. It says, they set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and their gold, they made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My angry, my anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain for innocence? For from Israel is even this, a workman made it, and it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken into pieces. God says, look, I'm going to break and destroy every one of these false gods and idols that you have made. They sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For if we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see, this idea, there's this universal principle that you reap what you sow. And here Israel had sowed the wind, but God says you're not going to just reap the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind because I'm coming in judgment. Now what does that mean? This universal law of sowing and reaping. You see, most of the time, and I would say it's, it's probably 100% my opinion, that you never reap when you sow. You go to a farmer out here. They're harvesting their cotton right now and their beans and corn is pretty much all done, but they've been in harvest season. But when did they plant that? Months ago, back in the spring. They did not reap back in the spring. They were planting. And God is long-suffering toward us. And we sow all of this to the wind. And as the nation of Israel is doing, turning from God, turning to our own ways, allowing all of this evil to infiltrate the church and infiltrate our homes and infiltrate our schools and our education systems. And everywhere we look, our government, everything has crept in. But we have sown the wind but we're going to reap the whirlwind. And God is going to bring that judgment. You see, not only do you not reap when you sow, because God gives you time to try to wake up and realize how stupid of the decisions that you've been making. But here's another principle. You always reap more than you sow. They sowed the wind... God says, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You know, you sow one kernel of corn, and you get hundreds of kernels from that one kernel. And then the third thing is, you reap what you sow. If we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. And as I look around in our world today and even in our church and the church today around the world, there's so much corruption. We're more concerned, and this breaks my heart to say it, we're more concerned about whether we hurt somebody's feelings because we preach and teach the truth in love and graciousness, not in judgmentalism, but with meekness and fear. We're more concerned about what others think than what God 
says. They call it today, they always come up with these names for everything. You know, they changed, um, they changed adultery to extramarital affairs. Sounds more sophisticated, doesn't it? They changed homosexuality and the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah they changed that to gay. They changed the offering of their children to Molech. And today the comparison to that is abortion. And they call it women's rights. We just changed the name of our sin. And we could, could bring a lot more than that in as well. I mean, we could talk about lots of other things, but those are issues that we face every day. We are sowing the wind, but we're going to reap the whirlwind. Israel has taken Gentile lovers, verses 8 through 10. It says, Israel be swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure, for they have gone to Assyria. In other words, the same, the same people that God was going to use to bring judgment, they thought they would go and, just, and, have, and make a, a, a treaty, and they would pay them. Do you think you can... Pay your way out of God's judgment. Israel thought they could. Exodus 19 and verse 5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed today obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. What? Underline it. Above all people. For all of the earth is mine. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Amos chapter 3 and verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You know, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, I don't think I put this on your outline, but write it down, Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 8. Notice what God says, that if you're his child, what he will do. If you endure chastening, in other words, discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
does not discipline. In fact, we're told in the book of Proverbs that if you don't chasten your child, that if you don't discipline your child, now I'm not talking about abusing. I'm not talking about getting vengeance. I'm talking about correcting a bad behavior, discipline. Because you love them so much that you know if they continue in that direction where they're headed, and they're headed to judgment and condemnation. And so you love them too much. If, it's like if your child were running out here, got out of church here in a few minutes and run out here and started running toward the highway, you would do whatever you had to do to stop him. Why? Because that child does not know the danger that's out there. And you do. And you would, you would absolutely be negligent in your role as a parent to let your child say, well, I'll just let them do what they want to do and let them figure it out for themselves. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You want to know a real true sign of whether you're a child of God or whether you're saved or not? That if you are out of the will of God, God is going to take you to the woodshed in our vernacular. And if he's not, then you are an illegitimate child. God does not chasten or discipline those who are not his. He brings judgment upon those who are not his. You of all the whole earth, all the families of the earth, Lord, uh, uh, Israel, I've chosen you. Israel has made temples for sinning, verses 11 through 13. Israel built altars, verse 11, because Israel, uh, Ephraim has made many altars for sin. They have become for him altars of sinning. They were in defiance of God's command by having these alternate uh, worship centers and temples and things that they had, that, that they had built for these idol uh, worshiping, uh, uh, idol worship. They were destroying their relationship with God. Israel built altars. When we go into the worship of the things other than the true and living God, that's what we do. We, just, we defy God's commands, and we destroy our relationship with God. And we're not just like this. Then Israel boldly sinned. They got so bold, it says, note what it says in verse 12. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange things. They're people today who are Christian, but they never study God's Word. They never read God's Word. They never come to a Bible study. It's amazing you can have three or four hundred people in a, in a Sunday morning worship service and you have five people in a Bible study on Sunday night. That doesn't mean that, you know, that's not a condemning statement. It's just, I'm sure it maybe will perceive, be perceived by some like that. I, sometimes people perceive stuff I say that 
that, you know, I don't know. But it's just simply this. We have God's word. What are we doing with it? Are we more concerned about whether somebody agrees with us or not? Or are we concerned about getting the word of God out? Churches that are proclaiming the truth of God's word. Are we doing our best to support that? Encourage that? And doing our best to get behind it? And doing our best to be a part of, of getting God's word out? Or more, are we more concerned about getting everybody to agree on every issue? Israel boldly sent. Caused great division in the nation. And then Israel blasphemed God. Verse 13. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and they eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. Judgment's coming. And then finally Israel had totally forgotten her maker. Someone has uh, said, I believe it was Dr. Adrian Rogers. I, I, I don't know for sure who to give credit to this. But said that Christians are kind of like cars. They start missing before they quit. And I see that happen a lot. People get so distracted by the lure of this world, by the idols of this world, so distracted that they don't have time for the house of God anymore and for the things of God. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built his own temples. In other words, they have substituted true worship of God to what they want to worship. Judah has also multiplied fortified cities. Oh, they're, they're wealthy. They've got, the, they've got all the great army. Well, I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. Hosea, a prophet, back in the 700s BC, proclaiming to a world and to a people the trumpet. Is about to blow. Church, I just want to close by saying this the trumpet is about to blow. And so I want to encourage you today if you've never trusted Christ today, you say, Well, what does it mean to trust Christ? It means that you, as the scripture says, confess with your mouth. What do you confess? The word confess means to agree. You confess with your mouth, you agree with God that you are a sinner. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. There's none righteous, no, not one. You confess to God that you are a sinner and that you need to repent. The Bible calls us to repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from and turning to. It's turning from our sin and turning to Christ. What else do we confess? We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, sealing forever his authority and his power and his lordship and that he is the only one who can save us and the bible says in ephesians chapter 2 that the spirit of god will quicken our dead spirit to life and right now if the spirit of god is dealing with your heart and saying come to jesus confess him as lord Confess your need for him. Turn to him by faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. God is going to do his part. But you have a choice as well. You can either open your heart to the Spirit of God or you can grieve the Spirit of God. And you can walk away and refuse to accept the most wonderful gift that God has ever given, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's your decision today. What shall it be? As we sing this closing song, I want us to just pray before we sing. But as we sing this closing song, I will be here. As the Spirit of God is moving upon you to trust Christ, would you make that decision today? Would you surrender all? Would you come just as you are without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God? I come. You have nothing to offer, but God has everything to give you. But you must come. You say, well, preacher, why do I have to come down to the altar? Can't I just accept Christ where I'm sitting? You absolutely can. But the Bible says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you. There's something about a public proclamation of your faith that says to the devil, boom, I'm not your child anymore. I belong to Christ. There's something as well about the power of the body of Christ when we make a proclamation and it's a sense of accountability of making that decision for Christ. Will you make it today? Please don't turn him away, as the old song says. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Come. Lord, we pray today to thank you for the word of God, for the prophet Hosea, the other, all the other minor prophets, major prophets,
and the proclamation to your people. Thank you, Lord, for how the application of those truths are still true today to your people, the church. And so, Lord, we, we need to heed the warning and we need to proclaim uh, the goodness of God in the land of the living and to let everyone know that Jesus saves and that today if we will turn in repentance and faith to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior to as many as believed him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to those who believed on his name so today Lord I pray if there's any who would believe on Christ today and publicly profess that belief that today Lord would be the day of new beginnings challenges Lord as a church to be faithful and to never let the lure of this world and the idols of this world ever replace our relationship with you and we thank you in Christ's name amen